In order for shame to be rendered powerless in our lives, we must be witnessed. We must be seen. Your gifting is going to seem like things that are just very obvious. They're going to seem like, well, everybody can be this welcoming, but everybody can see that moment where I just saw it. It's going to feel like anybody could do it. And that's what makes it your gifting. Watch how people avoid the face of somebody in need or asking who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Guys, welcome back to the Incense Podcast. I'm Sam. And I am Blaine. And I... I almost feel the need to give like a language disclaimer even before we've recorded this podcast because we're passionate about where we're going. Sometimes when we get passionate, we just start throwing in the saltier language because I want you to taste the passion. Oh, that was that was so poetic. That's yeah. a good advanced disclaimer. I can we put that in the new intro when we put that together? Welcome to Ansuds. Language sometimes for salt. I think it works. The other thing I want to say is that you may have noticed, but this is a difficult moment to say anything. Because there is a lot of offense and a lot of hatred swirling right now. And it makes it hard to find something changeful to offer people in your world. Nonetheless, we are going to try. Right. Because today we're talking about people and things going on behind the scenes. And we're going to be pulling in some research about why people believe things and how people change, pulling in conversations from some of my counseling background and trying to paint a better picture than just what feels like a moment of stark opposites. I heard a quote the other day that because we live in such a polarized moment in time, anyone standing in the middle is caught in the crossfire. And that certainly feels to be true. Although the metaphor would also seem to imply that both sides are taking shots as well. So there's not really a safe place to be, and there seems to only be two colors. And yet, if you know anyone, you know that they are a complexity of colors, the complexity of motivations, woundings, questions, beliefs. And we lose that, especially in moments like this. So, my gosh. Where to go? I think I'd like to start in the Garden of Eden and go, hey, remember this little tidbit about people that most of the time when they are faced with the choice of life and the knowledge of good and evil, people will choose the knowledge of good and evil, i.e., they will choose to Uh, define for themselves what good and evil means. And this relates just to one of the most abused passages in the Bible, which it's in John 8, and it's where Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth 
shall set you free. And the funny thing is, is that the truth, in quotes, does not set anyone free. That's actually what Jesus came to do. So what is he talking about? Most people think it's facts in the world. Like, when you know what is right, you will be free. That is not what Jesus is saying. And it's really interesting. John 8, which I think we're going to come back to several times in this podcast, starts with the woman caught in adultery and then goes through a variety of riffs where Jesus talks about his relationship with the Father and that he's the Son of Man. He talks about who he is, and then he gives this line, if you hold to my teaching, then you are my disciples. It's one of those verses where it's valuable to look at it in 30 different translations, because if you hold to my teaching, hold, the word is remain, teaching is word. And you go, oh, wait a second. You are saying, if I stay in you, because when Jesus uses word, especially in the book of John, he's talking about himself in the beginning was the freaking word. And the point is, if you remain in Jesus, you will know him and he will set you free. The first thing to know about people is they they will choose to define good and evil for themselves or to try to find an external standard by which they can have a conversation instead of going, knowledge is only possible by remaining in Jesus. So if you want reliable knowledge about the world, you have to start with seeing, relating to, and prioritizing Jesus. That's so good and so easy to do, right? Like just drifting through the day, remaining in Jesus. I I find about so much of the New Testament is that the, the challenges often feel impossible at first and then incredibly relieving at second and then at third, way more difficult than I thought the first time, but somehow with more grace in them, which is something I feel like I need all the time when relating to other human beings, even myself, perhaps especially myself. Yes. (laughs) There's this related issue in that people tend to relate to facts, not to the heart. And I'll hear something, you know, right now, the information I'm hearing has to do with social structures in the United States. And When I hear some pieces of information, I'm like, oh, is that true? Especially in a conversation with a person, I'll make the fact the issue. And Jesus doesn't do that. It's so fascinating Mm -hmm. where he relates to the heart and I don't. I was thinking the other day, as I observed the world and my community and myself, that everyone really is in a state of trauma right now. And we've done a lot of work with Dan to help people understand what trauma is. But it's really interesting because I still think that, well, nothing terrible is happening. Therefore, I must not be in trauma. But then I look at my response to the world and go, oh, these are trauma responses. Am I right? Because you've spent more time in this arena. 
Thanks for the tee up, Blaine. I appreciate it. Low and slow across the plate. Yeah, I'm always working my way back into this from symptoms. And one of them is how deep does your reserve feel? Does it does it feel like a reservoir? Does it feel like maybe your body weight in reserves? Does it feel like a teacup? Like for me, it, it feels like I'm working with very little. I'm running on fumes in terms of reserves. And so if I'm going through the day and I'm encountering what I expect, I will have like prepared to deal with it. But the unexpected taps into that reserve. And that's a symptom of a lack in many ways, not just in emotional capacity and mental capacity, though those are certainly true. They're indications of some fragmentation in some ways where it's like, oh, okay, this, this, this goes back to a rat's nest, unfortunately. And I think about your comments about facts and news and polarization and just going like every, every moment there, there feels like there's some new thing. And I don't mean to diminish any of those things because they're all massive. I'm hearing stories of loss and death in the small and large scale, what feels like daily. And it feels like this another blow to the gut that is also a, a take from the reserve. And then some new story gets put out about some something or other. And we've now had what feels like two decades of information and misinformation. And so I genuinely don't believe things when I hear them anymore. Like I need to go back and re-listen to our podcast on postmodernism to be like, I-, I know that there's truth. I just, the more that we dig into where information comes from and the polarized moments. And we were just cracking up watching some John Oliver last night who has got a hysterical piece on retirement. And he's like, these CPAs, sometimes they don't even actually have to have your best interest in mind. They're legally not required to. And you're like, wait, like the, the people I'm, maybe someone listening right now is a financial consultant. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sure that you're a good person, but it feels like pick an arena, spin the giant wheel from the wheel of fortune. And whenever that sucker lands on, it's going to be misinformation, something taxing on your empathy and right and wrong being thrown into question. And so what's left? How do you respond? It feels like you go to your reserves, you scoop out whatever is left in there, if anything, and you have to walk forward back into that, like, I had to define truth for myself piece. And when that is thrown into question, it's not about whether or not I made the right decision. It's about whether or not I am a good enough person. I have the right orientation mentally and philosophically and spiritually, like your entire goodness is thrown into question when you take a stand on something. Even if you just have to feel like you have to respond to the latest Instagram, whatever, it was World Ocean Day yesterday. Did you know that we're killing the planet there? It was like, I'm super passionate about the planet. I'm super passionate about the oceans, but I just need to go through about 20 minutes of my day without another damn thing that's a good indication of trauma. Wow. That image of the shallow pool 
is a little disturbing. I can see it perfectly. I have a bird bath in my backyard that feels like my reservoir right now. Yeah, with like a good half to a quarter inch of water in it. Yeah, or uh, an eighth of an inch after the sun's been on it. <laughs> there's a little bird crap. There's a little dowdy feather floating in it. <laughs> you, as a person, have a limited capacity to engage the world. And not only with trauma, but just think of if you've ever had a gathering where people shared words of blessing over you, I hope you have, you'll know that after one or two people, your cup is actually full and you don't have the capacity to engage anymore. And yet, you are asked to constantly have capacity for all of the trauma of the world. And most attempts to mitigate that are viewed as some form of annulment or retreat. And when I run out of resources and yet the demands increase, that's the situation. Beer, chocolate, caffeine, screed, <laughs> cue medication. It's a good definition of how trauma works, where when your world is out of control but still affecting you, your body starts to freak out. And it mm. freaks out in predictable ways. Fight or flight, right? Mm -hmm. And they've also added freeze to that. You have very ingrained, learned reactions to danger and stress and trauma. Oh, this is actually one of the most beautiful parts about this is that we do have the constant opportunity to care for and better ourselves so that we can care for and better others. Was it Padre who once said, or somebody else, somebody wiser and older, which at this point feels like just about everyone, said that you will only treat others ever as well as you treat yourself. And so that angry reaction, that fight that you keep feeling over and over again. You know, if you feel like you've reached a place where you are curious about that, it might be time to look under your own hood and see where the fight has been playing out internally. I'm a betting man. I'm going to say that you, you are going to be treating your own heart that way. And that's going to also be true for flight and for freeze. The ways that those play out, I feel like those words massively oversimplify. But that's a, one of these moments too. Like one of the beautiful things is that though you are in the midst of trauma, though there's just more and more and more, the hope for the way out isn't to bail or to medicate. It may be through. And in the through, if you begin with some curiosity for yourself, like you're actually going to be able to do a whole lot more good for the world around you by just beginning to be curious. Wow. I can share a personal example of that and curiosity of... Uh, my own heart over the past several weeks, I noticed a pervasive feeling of frustration in myself. And I just went, man, I am agitated when nothing is happening. Why is that? And it feels in the trauma spectrum like a form of freeze where I feel claustrophobic. I discovered the most fascinating thing where I went, oh, it's because I feel 
very powerless, not just to change the world, but to change literally one person. I really want to be a person of influence and power that's used well, but I'm experiencing in real time my inability to change one person, one person, and the impotence, the powerlessness of that feeling became like heat in my body where for several days in a row, I just felt like I was on a constant caffeine crash, that sort of tingling sensation down the spine and slight dizziness and went, oh, I actually need to take a lot of personal frustration to God. And what I mean is, this is not some esoteric religious practice. I need 10 minutes to myself to get a journal and to write out my frustrations one after another. I want to be exerting influence, and I'm not. I want to be able to cut through the BS and speak to the human heart, and I can't. I feel as disoriented as everybody else. And it actually did lead to this point of release of like, oh, yeah, but that's actually what you do. That's what we partner with you in doing, not like rush out and clarify reality to everyone and bring about the reign of Jesus except without Jesus. Yeah, I remember you, you've got a historical frustration there of, how come you're not doing it? Well, I am here, you're not, therefore I'm jumping in. I want to put together the bullet points, chapbook size, here's the enemy's tactics to like feel oriented because they're very different for people that have a good heart and want to do good and this is going to be a different episode entirely, but the success of empathy fatigue, I think it's just, oh my gosh, you have people that want to do good and bring justice. Jesus foremost among them, bury those people with so many causes and so much pain that it just freezes them. Like you just swamp them to death with it. And the world is certainly full of enough causes for that. So to go, okay, you're in this moment and Blaine, if, you're, if your litmus for whether I'm living well or not is changing one other person, it's going to feel like a very unhelpful and impossible metric. <laughs> yeah, a very godless metric if you're me too. Mm. All right, I have another one in sort of this grab bag of, hey, remember, that people tend to go to the facts instead of going to Jesus, which is problematic because you can only see reality and have reliable knowledge through Jesus. Next one, you're actually in a state of trauma where the demands on your life and the things that are happening to you exceed your ability to control or respond. And so you are probably reacting in fight, flight, or freeze. The next one is so basic, but I want 
to remind everyone, people don't change online. I don't know what your digital conversations are like right now or your text exchanges, but this phenomenon has been documented forever. Uh, Context collapse is the name of it in psychology, where it goes, unless we share an environment with a person, we don't share meaning. This is part of the difficulty of constant Zoom communication during the pandemic. There's a great long book about this called The World Beyond Your Head, and a great short article called A Body of Work uh, that we'll post in the footnotes. But the point is, people do not change online. Facts don't change people. New information doesn't change people. Because we are incarnate, emotional beings. I found this fascinating study where they put people in an MRI and then had them review political articles. And the group was sorted across the political divide. So they had some left-leaning subjects and some right-leaning subjects, and then they, they gave them news articles. And the news articles held contradictory information. And the fascinating thing in the study is, is when they started to engage these contradictory articles, the rational center of the brain did not light up. The emotional center of the brain exploded. And to go, wow, what would you do if you believed that you were having a predominantly emotional conversation that could only be had in person? How would you live if you actually believed that? Because that's the world you live in. I don't know that most people believe that. You know, you go on a social media and it sure seems like dialogue and back and forth is the status quo. And I, I would argue that those platforms are probably, uh, it, it's tricky because it's also not the case. They're great for spreading some information. They're great ground for breeding viruses and misinformation and breeding echo chambers where you just find what you were looking for. So that's why it's also not true. But I'm not against people sharing things they're passionate about in those spaces, because that sure seems to be what those spaces are for. My gosh. But I do want you to ask yourself, the last time you went onto any of those platforms and came away having changed your opinion about one of the topics because of um, either a very calm and thought out expose by a friend or by the New York Times comic that your aunt posted, whether you got shamed into it or enlightened into it, did it actually change your mind? And if you're like me, it feels more like going on to some old Nickelodeon show where you're just going to get slimed every time you go on to these places. Like I'm mostly here to try and keep in touch with family and friends that I'm not nearby and feel like I can have a semblance of an idea of what's going on in their lives. And also to kind of, I don't know, lick my finger and put it in the air and see the ways the cultural wind is blowing. Right. But I also know I'm going to get slimed. Yeah, Seth Godin calls it hiding in infinity, where it's easier to post something to the world than to one person. And 
Paul has this amazing line where he says, we shared not only the gospel with you, but our very lives and went, <laughs> uh, change is incarnate and slow. And because information proliferates rapidly on social platforms, like they support the illusion that people change quickly or that you can achieve some form of lasting improvement quickly. We just have to come back and go, oh, yeah, no, uh, the world does change. The kingdom of God can be brought. Justice is possible. And it's slow. And it's relational. And it's expressed in the local. We made this recommendation years ago, back in 2016. If you really want to impact a person that you know, get the conversation off the internet and into the regular territory of your life. And I don't know how many people actually did that, but the recommendation would be, if you are someone on social, go, you seem to be really passionate about this topic. Thank you for taking the time to write. Would you like to go on a run sometime and tell me more and get into the territory of a person's life and stop speaking to the quote-unquote fact and start speaking to the heart, and you can actually bring change. Yeah, for you uh, geeks out there, of which I know that number is steadily increasing by the year, there's some really interesting data on the first position you read on a new topic becomes your bias, becomes the one that then everything else is trying to argue against and take over that place. So you're actually never unbiased on something. And often that first opinion is formed not because you sought it out, but because that's the way it went down in your home or your hometown or your college or your youth group or, or whatever it was. So you're going to have this initial, there's an actual word. Do you know the, the phrases for this? I think you're quickly Googling me I'm, here. I was, was going to look it up to see if I could give it to you, but nope. It's really interesting. If you even just look that up of like, yeah, that you've got, confirmation biases. You've got all these all these wonderful neurochemical rabbit trails that you can go and run down. I'm also interested in this category from the personal level. Like be like a samurai, be like a ninja, be so cunning. We are called to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. When you are interacting with that individual on the run, you are not just interacting with someone who maybe disagrees with you, you're interacting with someone who is wounded, who has a story, who is perhaps 30 years old on the run, but they are also 18 and they are also 10 and they are also eight all at once. Like they're all still there. And so there's just this, as you have the ability to read your own life, that first place I was trying to push you towards Look under your own hood to see how you are responding because you're never going to treat anyone better than you treat yourself. Then as you're having those conversations, be aware that like you may think you're arguing about a fact, but you are actually arguing about an event that happened to this person that is all wrapped up in their story. And it might just be helpful to ask some questions about that. Of like, oh, you seem really passionate about this particular side. You keep coming back to a, what seems like a hypothetical story, but it sure doesn't seem hypothetical to me anymore. 
don't be blind to all of that because you are certainly that. You are certainly a makeup of all those ages and stories and encounters. So why would anyone else be any less? It's so good. And as I hear you talk, I think, which is hard to do when you're in trauma. It's hard to be a samurai when you are in a fight, flight, freeze state. So there is a kind of right. progression to these things. Like you said, you won't treat other people better than you treat your own heart and go, there are probably some steps you need to take in view of your own frustration so that you actually can be that samurai and you can relate. I said before, we'd come back to John 8 and now is the time. The woman caught in adultery. I love this story. So you know it goes, it's early morning. Jesus goes to the temple courts uh, to teach, which he's been doing for several days. So there are people waiting. People know where to find him. And then some of the Pharisees and some of the experts in the law of Moses show up and they have this woman with them who they've brought as a test. I mean, this story shows you a lot about the human heart and to go, (laughs) you are not Jesus when you read this story. We are the Pharisees. Jesus is showing us something about our hearts. So we go and we've got the thing to try to stump God and we show up with it. And we go, this woman was caught in adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, it said we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus, who we know from the rest of his teaching, knows the law of Moses quite well because he freaking imparted it does not answer the question, and he doesn't even actually call them hypocrites and trigger some sort of responsive fury. He bends over. Do you remember what he does? Starts writing in the dirt? Yeah. He starts writing on the ground with his finger. Probably be a whole exploration of why that is, but this is fascinating. So he ignores them and starts doing this other prophetic act that presumably they recognize because they The story says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, let any one of you who is out sin be the first to throw a stone. And he speaks to the question they're actually asking, like, can one person stand in judgment of another? Isn't this the way to be right and good? And he just cuts straight to the core, their motives, their heart. And then uh, he turns to the woman and is like, Famously, does no one condemn you? No. Then neither do I. Go, don't sin again. And went, here is the ultimate interpersonal samurai who transforms the scene by not getting baited, by speaking to the heart, and by relating to all parties with the same level of BS-less care. It's just amazing. BS-less BS-less. Uh, that actually, that sounded like an actual word, not B-S-less, without bullshit. Yeah, exactly. As our disclaimer at the beginning, <laughs> so forewarned. You were warned that this would happen. So I have this running list. I have a document on my computer that developed when we were recording the Anthropology Podcast that was like, what are the, what are the most important things to understand about human nature? And I still don't know. But some of the things that have risen to the top, here's a surprising one that I would add to this conversation. After we're not predominantly rational beings, after we only change in the real territory of our life, is to understand human beings, 
you have to understand debt. There is this book, David Graeber, titled Debt, The First 5,000 Years. And this is one of the Rosetta Stones to human beings. What David Graeber points to is he's like, look at this. Debt colors every part of human experience. When we go to war, warriors often believe that the enemy can owe them their life. When the war is over, we have these complex logics of like reconstruction versus reparation. And depending on who you are, you might be told that you owe the nation you conquered something so you should help them rebuild. Or the nation you conquered owes you something for baiting you into a war so they should pay you something. But just to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. As human beings, we have a fundamental experience of being in the wrong, and it causes us to freak out. One of the basic examples of this is I had a really difficult friendship uh, in sort of like the college and post-college years with a person who had a lot of anger, and that anger would always express itself towards me, and people would go, why are you hanging in there in this relationship? And what I finally discovered was, oh, I was hanging in there because I was waiting until... I had proven myself to exit the friendship. In other words, I had this experience of indebtedness, of culpability, because I knew I wasn't actually a great friend, and I knew I didn't actually love this person, and it was making me do really stupid things. Uh, But to go, whoa. So when someone comes to us and goes, you've participated in systemic injustice, the first response in a human being isn't, really? Tell me more. It's to freak out because we know that we're not safe under judgment. So we go, no way. Uh Uh-uh. Not me. In other words, try to escape because the only way to be secure is to be right. (sighs) Guilty. That feels feels, uh, uncomfortably true. It makes me think of the story that dad shared the other night. Uh, He had a the decision to make in front of him years ago about whether or not to save his counseling practice and the people that were employed there and by throwing it all in and taking on more hours or walking away from it to the thing that he thought that he was supposed to do. And God asked him, if you didn't need to prove you were a good man in doing this, would you do it? And it, it was very reframing for him because it made him say like, oh, I, if I don't need to prove it. If I know that I am, I can actually walk a different path. To me, feels like a wonderful out for a moment like that of, of yes, Jesus has actually covered us and therefore my neck isn't on the chopping block even when I am wrong, perhaps especially when I am wrong. And if I don't need to prove that I'm a good man by either avoiding any culpability or any debt or by throwing in to in some sort of noble sacrifice to go, Oh, if I don't need to prove my goodness, the motivation changes. And I actually get to walk into what God is asking me to do. I heard that story and it made me want to start applying it left, right and center. Oh my gosh. Yes. It is the craziest concept where I go, I feel like I owe my neighborhood a green lawn. And I feel like 
when my lawn is not green, I deserve the punishment. And I feel like I owe, I'm aware of owing people a better standard of friendship. And when I realize that I'm not, I become defensive. And you you named it in Jesus canceling this is the way forward. He canceled the claim of our legal indebtedness. Jesus makes you safe to be wrong because even when you're wrong, you don't come under a punishment. And that's the great fear, is that if I were to go, yes, I'm not a very good friend, then uh, it would be right for the person I said that to to say anything back. And I would just have to take it because that's how law works. When you fail, you're punished. That's the natural consequence. And go, Jesus actually makes you safe by taking the punishment. This is hugely relevant if debt is a basic part of human experience. So that someone could come to you and go, you've participated in systemic injustice. And the interesting thing is that most people want to prove that that isn't true. The only thing is, if you read the Bible, you know that in some way it is true. Like, you don't have to argue about the distribution of wealth in capitalist economies. Like, you just know that you've fallen short. But you get to go, you're right. I'm sorry. I don't have to receive any punishment or fury. I actually get to keep participating in as Jesus's ally in a process of restoration and go, man, this changes everything. This is like marital conflict 101. This is communal engagement 101. This is me in our workplace this morning as we're trying to figure out podcast ideas. And I'm like having a real-time experience of not quite being selfless when I think about our work. You are 99% of the way there, though. I'm you know, just not maybe 100% even more. Oh selfless. <laughs> oh, right, guys. So we had this thing. Sam and I wrote all these ideas on the board, and then it was like, go away and come back with the calendar. And so I went away and I came back with a calendar that was all ideas that I had written down without really noticing. And when that was brought to my attention, it triggered this panic debt response of, no, it's not true. Hey, I'm really tired. Like, there's some other excuse for me yeah. that doesn't bring me under the penalty of the law. But I remembered this. It didn't do that and went, I'm sorry. Yep, man, this is stressful right now. Where is the way forward? Mm -hmm. be, you know, Because you happen to not be an angry mob, you didn't take that opportunity to try to punish me. Uh, but even if you had, it would have been okay. In many ways, I am a lot like an angry mob, depending on the moment. But, you know, it's okay. I understand. You, you have a newborn. have multiple torches. You mm -hmm. travel from place to place. Distrust I ogres. <laughs> I was thinking of Shrek, too. I Shrek as well, not the second Shrek movie. All right, here's one more. Here's one more. Things to remember about the world. Remember this thing, that the world rewards knowing already. We talk about this in other areas, like I should know how to fix my car. I should already know how to stretch or not stretch before exercise to be healthy. And when I don't know that and I experience the consequence of that, I feel shame. The way of the son and the student is that not knowing is okay. You're actually being led by the father in your maturity. And it's a real game changer in fraught global moments 
when ignorance is threatening or any uncertainty is threatening to go, no, 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 I am a son. Oh my. Okay, you guys, the amount of times where I have just needed to use my imagination to play this thing out has been very helpful. And I, like to a goofy extent, like I, I will feel nervous before something and, and be like, wait, 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 if I, if I am the son, I have access, how would I walk? How would I have this conversation? It's my constant thinking about man's search for meaning and Victor Frankl. Like if I can just get out of this moment and see this moment, this conversation, this conflict, this maybe trauma in my own self, like it's not the all defining world ending moment, but as a moment and an opportunity, I live so much better. So when I'm able to just use my imagination and be like, oh, okay, I've got like a robe. I've got a giant ring that is like the signet ring of the king. And I'm just going to come in and be like, hey, I'm not going to pretend to not be anything else than what I am. It's like, oh, wow. Talk about walking in some confidence and some authority. And even if it's not that, but merely assurance that you are not alone, that I am not alone, like, oh, I just need to be able to pour that into my coffee every morning. And I think my life's going to go a whole lot better. That is so good. The way of the student and the way of the son is that it's okay to be where you are, to be, if you're me, stuck on not knowing totally how to respond, especially in a fraught moment. But you get to go as a son. Father, I am not totally sure how to respond, and my own resources are insufficient. Show me. Father me in this moment. Because the Father will lead you, and that is the safe place to be. 